Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. Xfinity XFi is more than just fast. It's Internet with Xfinity Flex, a 4K streaming device included, so you can search less and watch more. Can your Internet do that? Learn more at Xfinity.com slash Flex. Hello and welcome to Four Fans of, um, an entertainment podcast from Fansida dedicated to all things streaming. I'm Shay Corgan. Joining me is Fansida.com editorial director Josh Hill. And we're here to talk about what's coming to Netflix in July. Before we do that, we got to check in. We do these every month. We talk through what's coming, what's leaving, what we're most excited about. And last month, we'll get this out of the way right away. Last month, I was like super hyped for Athlete A, um, a new Netflix documentary about the um, trial and allegations of Larry Nassar. Of course, Netflix... I, I swear, maybe this is like a uh, Mandela effect thing. I swear it used to be like everything came on the 1st and left on the 30th. Now it's just kind of like released throughout the course of the month, which to be fair is a more normal release schedule. Um, but Athlete Day isn't actually out yet. Uh, it comes out this weekend. So we'll have to save any sort of conversation and discussion of that for a future podcast. But your pick, Josh, did come out. Yeah, it did. The Five Bloods came out and... If you didn't see it, shame on you. Because it, first of all, we were already excited for this because this was like Spike Lee's, you know, reckoning with his mortality movie. This is his The Irishman, um, where he's looking back on his life now that he's towards the end of his. But then it became, right before it came out, incredibly relevant to what is going on in the world, which nobody saw coming. And that ended up adding an extra layer, I think, specifically to the Paul character. Um, which who, if you haven't seen it, I believe we're going to go deep into spoilers here or kind of as deep as you can go into spoilers for the five bloods. But I, I think that it was really, if you bring in the context of Spike Lee in the outside world into this film, the fact that he was this like Trump supporter mm. and that was like a huge part of his character. Um, and the reckoning with that, it felt like Spike Lee's reckoning with the world that he lives in too. So it wasn't just about, what I thought it was going to be, which was this, you know, he's looking back in his life. This is his once upon a time in Hollywood where he's like this, you know, this is me speaking to the next generation of the way things were and how we can change. Um, it turned into him reckoning with the world as it is, which is the most Spike Lee thing ever. But that's exactly what all of his movies have been. The Black Klansman was like that. You go all the way back to do the right thing. Now you've got uh, The Five Bloods, which was painfully relevant but also in addition to all of the social context an incredibly well-made film like this is it's almost a shame that the oscars are going to be a little wonky this year because what he maybe missed out on on black klansman as being like finally the academy recognizes spike lee the five bloods is making an even better case in my opinion to be like give this man an oscar for more than just screenwriting i I, I'm with you 100%. And I, last month, I remember telling you, like, I, why aren't we hearing more about this? Where is the buzz? 
And I still feel that way where I feel like, and I, I will give the world a pass because I, the weekend it came out, like there were objectively better things to be doing than staying home and watching Netflix movies. Um, but there's still an element that like, as we've sort of gone back to sort of cycling through, and I hate to phrase it this way, but like business as usual, there is like, I don't know. I'm kind of like, wait, wait, can we go back up and go back and talk about the phenomenal movies Spike Lee dropped? And I'm also delighted to say, and I expressed this fear before of like Netflix blow and Netflix lack of editing and just like letting people go too wild. And I would say maybe even with the Irishman, not the case. Like I thought every second of the five bloods was well used. It was, I don't know. It was effective. It was moving. I, yeah. And I, I think you're introduced to the fact that um, Delroy Lindo's character, who we will talk about that actor in a moment, uh, was a Trump supporter early on. And I remember kind of saying, I'm like, oh, okay. So, so that's what this is going to be like. And it's, it's so, I don't know. I mean, it feels redundant or obvious to say a Spike Lee movie is well done, but it is. And it's, it's, I don't know. I'm always been fascinated by the Vietnam War and America's relationship to our past there and all that. And I think this, it's a perspective that has woefully been undertold and it's, it's, and it's, it's just, it's the action is there. The cast is phenomenal. Um, yeah, no, but I would want to talk a little bit more. I just mentioned that, but like Delroy Lindo, I saw oh. you tweeting that first weekend, just like give the man his Oscar now. Oh yeah. Like, and this is, this is a classic case of, you know, we've all seen Delroy Lindo in a ton of things. Like he's that, he's one of those that guys, which is kind of unfortunate because it completely undersells his talent as an actor. I mean, not only in film, but he's an incredible stage actor too, but he's also been a mainstay in Spike Lee films throughout his career, like you know, Clockers and all of these movies that he's been in. So it, that was a nice little added fold for me, um, just on top of it being an incredibly well-made film, is that now we're also, not only are we going to potentially recognize Spike Lee the way that we've always should have recognized Spike Lee as this absolute titan of filmmaking, um, Delroy Lindo is also this piece of that. He's a very important piece of that. Like, we always thank Spike Lee and Denzel Washington um, for rightful reasons, because those two are very synonymous. It's like De Niro and Scorsese. But Linda being part of um, Spike Lee's entire career and popping up in all the movies that he's popped up in and being as good as he is both in Spike Lee movies and outside of them, this is really shining a light on somebody who has more or less been overlooked when you think of like really great actors of the last 30 years who, and not for lack of trying, too, like he's put out a lot of stuff. Um, so yeah, Delroy Linda getting that Give him, give him the Oscar now. I want to give him the Best Actor Oscar. I don't know exactly how that's going to be calculated as far as supporting actor. Like I tweeted that, and I was like, eh, maybe it'll be like a supporting actor thing. But like, regardless, give him, give him the Oscar. Yeah, I think the category will end up being like a blame competition decision, where like a studio, Netflix, will decide where they think that he has the best shot. Yeah, um, but yeah, he's phenomenal. I also, I don't think he's particularly showy though he is excellent in this i'm a, want everybody to be on jonathan major's watch because he was in the last black man in san francisco last year which is an amazing movie that everyone should watch he's in the five bloods now he's been in some things between and then he's going to be in lovecraft country on hbo this august and like i wrote this 
about Florence Pugh last summer where she had this run of like, she was in an acclaimed indie that was like premiered at Sundance and everyone was like, oh my gosh, she's amazing. And then she had uh, like a, a bigger sort of like prestige blockbuster with Mitsumar and then she had like a TV show too. And she was, now she's, now she's in Marvel, now she's well on her way. But like, it was like, you feel the sort of like, all right, you're, you're hitting each of these marks and now like everybody knows her name. Um, and so I'm very excited for Jonathan Majors to get what's due to him as well. Yeah, but, hopefully that trajectory is the same too because Florence Pugh got her Oscar nomination this year too for Little Women. So yeah, yes. So we'll so expect another movie from Jonathan Majors if it has him in a more central role and we're we're golden. Before we get before we move on from uh, the Five Bloods, I yeah. just need to do the obligatory. Uh, Chadwick Boseman continues to be a low key goat here. Like if we're talking about people just popping up in things and like, hey, he like came out of nowhere with what. Yeah. Uh, the Jackie Robinson movie, and then he was James Brown, then he's Black Panther, and now he's just popping up in all these really good things. Um, I I love the I just love the, the choices that he has. Then the people want to work with him, and just the choices that he makes. And then he's in this, and you're like, oh, Chadwick Boseman's in this, and then you're like, oh no, Chadwick Boseman. And it's just this <laughs> whole range of emotions. It's, it's so great, and it's like as we're talking about all these great things about Spike Lee and Delroy Lindo and all of these phenomenal pieces of this excellent film highlighting just how amazing everything is is chadwick boseman is incredible and he's almost a footnote in this where you're like yeah. oh yeah chadwick boseman's in this and he's phenomenal so that's just how packed everything is in that movie it completely surpassed my expectations what we talked about last time um so if you haven't seen it all right that's our honestly and we're we'll we keep saying we're going to dive into it, and I promise you we will in, like, 30 seconds. Um, but look at what's coming in July. Like, it's kind of a lackluster list. So watch what was, came out in June. June seems like it was, like, full of great things. Um, and July, not so much. No. So we were talking about a little before the show. The most exciting top-line Netflix release in July is actually coming at the end of the month. And that's Umbrella Academy. Mm-hmm. Yes. Did you watch the first season? I did, and I arrived to it a little late. Like I saw it, it was kind of like one of those quirky things that you see on Netflix where you scroll through it five or six times, then on the seventh time you're like, well, <laughs> I, I guess why not? I mean, it's got a lot, it checks a lot of the boxes of stuff that if you want to be, you know, throw out a blueprint for a Netflix show to be successful, it's, you know, about kind of, it's kind of a comic book adaptation, it's weird, it's quirky, it's very bingeable, it's easily digestible, it's interesting, it's well acted, um, you've got you know, a lot of people get into the, the British shows on Netflix. There's a British flair to it as well. So you kind of got everything going there. And above all, it's it has kind of that Stranger Things um, aura to it where it sucks you in very slowly. But once you're in, you're like, okay, I'm in. And then it gets a little weird towards the end. So you got a cliffhanger at the end of season one, which is kind of where season two picks up. Um, and from what I've read about season two, the 60s, Texas weird combination of things so i'm like as weird and quirky as that first season was and as likable as the characters were you can really get into it i'm interested in see where we go in season two yeah i'm on i started the first season because i mean you mentioned the british connection i am a robert sheehan stand from the misfits days so yeah. i was like well i have to watch this um, and i also love alan page and i i was very into like what you described like, like the aesthetic it's really like the energy of this show it's 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 strange and kind of, you know, it wears it's like comic or graphic novel sort of origins um, mm -hmm. proudly. And then I don't know what happened. I think maybe 
there are certain shows that just like either time up really poorly with like my, I don't know maybe I went on vacation there's I don't know what happened but I didn't finish it um and, and now I kind of want to because like, talking this through it's a reminder like no I can really do like that <laughs> and now I do have time now I have nowhere to go um so that is a but that's not till the end of the month um first and this is the show that I don't think I want to see but I think I'm, this is the opposite. Umbrella Academy is a show that I think I would like, that I want to watch, that I inexplicably have not watched or mm-hmm. have not watched. The Babysitter's Club is a show that I have very little interest in. Um, I have no attachment to like the source material or anything like that. And yet I'm probably going to watch the weekend it comes out. Because I just get, I mean, like Never Have I Ever and uh, I mean, I guess these were movies, but like to all the boys I've loved before, like, I just get sucked in. It's like it, Netflix throws it up on there and it's the easiest single click of like, I could scroll and try to find Umbrella Academy or I could just watch Babysitter's Club. And yes, those are entirely different emotional experiences. <laughs> so that's probably what's going to happen. <laughs> Netflix does a really good job too of throwing out, like you mentioned those, those rom-coms. And I, I had this thought, I mean, it's not an original thought, but like when... Um, Netflix was kind of becoming what HBO was to comedy in the 90s, where they're just like throwing up all of these stand-up specials. And then it eventually became a point where it was, okay, we've got marquee things like Chris Rock's new special, which, you know, back in the 90s, it'd be, here's his new HBO special. Now is oh, Chappelle's new Netflix special. Yeah. Netflix has kind of found a way to revive that whole watchable rom-com uh, genre. Yes. Kind of a throwback again to that, the 90s, rom-coms you know julia roberts is in these movies and all that kind of stuff where you're like i don't know if i would necessarily go out and spend money to watch this in the theater like never have i ever went i don't know if i would have watched that in the theater if i'm a casual movie goer i probably would have because i'm crazy and i'll watch anything in the theater but that's an instance where you go to the theater and you're like oh i accidentally saw a really good movie i wasn't intending to see but it's a harder sell to be like you got to go see never have i ever because you got to go and pay for it Netflix has found a way to throw these types of shows. And I wonder if the Babysitter's Club is going to be the same way, where it's just so accessible that you don't have to sell it hard to somebody. Especially, like, I mean, we're talking about these are good movies that we were watched. This is more or less you don't have anything else to do. Um, but it's that same thing where you don't really have to sell it that hard for it to become a conversation piece in your group text, where you're like, watch Babysitter's Club and we can talk about this one thing. Like, that. That's something that Netflix has mastered a little bit, I think. And Babysitter's Club is an example of how something can be easily accessible that you maybe necessarily wouldn't go for before. Yeah. I'm going to watch it. I'm with you. I'm going to watch it. I don't know if I'm happy about that, but it's just like, you know, like you said, it's there. It's at the top. It's clickable. Let's see what happens. I've already predicted you're seeing that it happened with Little Women. And again, like I said, like, I didn't read the Babysitter Club's books when I was little. Um, but I've like my timeline is already full of people like, I'm a this, I'm a that, I'm a this person. And I'm like, oh man, like I just I'm gonna need to know. I'm gonna need to know what this says about the people I follow, and I'm gonna need to know who I am. Um, but I think what you're getting at is something that I've been thinking about a lot recently with shows. Um, and that's kind of like the strange like lack of I don't know, I keep using the expression like burden of proof, but I don't know if that fully applies because I'm not actually a lawyer. Um, uh, but that like on shows on Netflix, like they don't have to prove that they're good. They just have to like 
you need to actively be bad to deter someone from watching a Netflix show. Whereas other networks, especially as sort of like your, your stars um, or your showtime and things like that, that aren't sort of in everyone's like, I don't know, go to sort of docket of like, this is what we have streaming. They kind of do where it's like, you have to, if you're a really good show on stars and not to hate on them because I like quite a few stars. <laughs> um, like you have to be so much better than what's on Netflix or HBO or whatever to justify even figuring out how you watch a show on stars. Whereas if you're on Netflix, you just have to not be so bad that someone's told you not to watch it. Like it's, it's such a different sort of like rules of engagement there. Um, and I did not think of this segue before I started this sentence. But the sort of the end result of all this is that the shows that, you know, are struggling to sort of prove themselves on those other networks inevitably end up on Netflix. And you got Shameless on Netflix coming in June, July, whatever month it is, July. If only that had been a stars show, that would have been the most perfect segue. I should have I should have kept with Showtime from the beginning. Yeah, that's yeah. I that's speaking of shows that you've kind of drifted in and out of, like I feel like Shameless has been on for so long that I just forget that it's actually still a new show. Like for some reason in my mind, I've like canceled it in my head. I'm like, oh, that show's still on. I didn't know that. So this is an opportunity, I guess, if you're like me and you forgot that it's on there to get back into it and kind of re reassess how you feel about the show now that you've, we know pretty much where the jump the shark point is. And it's like kind of like Dexter where it's like, okay, after this, you don't really have to watch it. But you know, morbidly curious, you want to watch beyond that point. And I think that that's going to be an opportunity here. And also, I don't think there's anything that big to binge on Netflix now that Mad Men's gone. Yeah, that's right. And this will be Shameless's 10th season that will be on Netflix in July, which is nuts. I, my short Shameless story is I remember being really interested in it because both like it being based on a British show and also being set in Chicago. And I was like, cool. I know both these things. Um, and then like the set in Chicago was like incredibly loose. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so we're just showing some shots of the skyline and keeping it moving. Um, but I, I think I made it like two or three seasons maybe. Um, and then, yeah, I don't know. Again, I need to maybe do some soul searching about why I can't commit to the shows that I can't commit to. <laughs> Um, despite otherwise seemingly liking them. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. It's, uh, I don't know if that was exclusive to, to you with, with Shameless. So I think that's a Shameless problem. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't do too much soul searching on that, on that yeah, one. That's the other thing. And everyone, everyone I talked to at the time was like, oh yeah, I gave up around that point too. And I was like, okay, got it. Um, anyways, I, I feel like that's all the highlights of what's coming in July. There really, yeah, there really is. There's the, uh, I wrote down in my notes, the Zac Efron Travel Show, which I don't even know what it's called. I wrote down Zac Efron Travel Show. Okay, I missed that. So that goes to the top of my list. <laughs> yeah, I'm morbidly curious about things. Apparently, it's all about Zac, Zac Efron traveling the world, trying to find keys to wellness. I'm like, okay, this is a weird combination of things. Okay. To it. If you Google Zac Efron Travel Show, there's a Zac Efron YouTube travel show. There's a Zac Efron MTV travel show. <laughs> Zac Efron Netflix travel show. Uh, they could all be the same show. This could just be like, I don't know, maybe just like got shopped around a lot. 
Um, maybe he's just really has a passion for travel. Uh, but I think what we're talking about is down to earth with Zac Efron. Um, and I don't think I can open this link without it actively playing. Um, but anyways, I don't know where in the world was Zac Efron. All right, you guys can find this for yourselves in July, but this is <laughs> a thrilling development. Yeah, the Zac Efron travel show, I kind of had the same reaction. I went through the list a couple of different times. Uh, like, oh, there's not a whole lot here. And then I was like, hold on. It's the same thing where it's like, you know, you click through Netflix things six or seven times, then that eighth time, you're like, hold on. Zac Efron <laughs> travel show. Oh, clear your Saturday, because it's going to be a fun time traveling the world. Most people are going to discover the Zac Efron travel show when it skyrockets up the Netflix top ten, because... <laughs> Some teens or some, you know, the Zac Efron hive is going to like be on top of it. So they're going to like all watch that first weekend. And then the rest of us are going to be like, what is this play? I did that with uh, The Floor is Lava. That oh. seems like the, if we're, if we're, if we're talking about, if you want to come down after The Five Bloods and you want to kind of shut your mind off after you've had a lot of soul searching and inward thinking, watch The Floor is Lava. That's another one of those ones where I just saw it on Twitter and everybody's talking about it, and I'm like, this sounds stupid, but I also know exactly what it is just from the title. And then, of course, like most Netflix, like you were saying, like the burden of proof, like I just watch it, and then halfway through, it's like, all right, I mean, I'm into this. The same thing happened with like Love is Blind and all that, where you just get to a certain point, you're like, I've come this far. The yeah. floor is lava. Let's, let's do this. <laughs> also, no sports. It's a, it hits totally differently with there being yeah. no sports. <laughs> Maybe we should start, maybe talk to like sports editors on fanside.com and we'll like figure out when you get on the floor is lava intense. That would be great for our NFL editor, Matt Verderam. Huge fan of the challenge. I bet, is he watching floor is lava? We got to talk to him about that. Oh, it, it needs to happen. Yeah, it will. It will. I need him on the floor is lava. Like, oh. just give me that episode. That would be. Maybe if we ever make it back to the fanside office, well, that'll be our first. <laughs> fun-sided bonding event for his lava. Uh, okay, so things that are leaving. Yes. Let's get to the to that of it all. I wanted to, I told you this before, I want to talk to you about Solo, a mm -hmm. Star story. Because Solo came out, and I don't, again, I don't remember what else was going on, but like when I was not watching Star Wars movies, I'm typically only like the, I guess now I know the name, the Skywalker Saga ones, those are the only ones I check in for. Uh, and Solo, if I remember, it like, came out in like summer, maybe. I don't know. I was doing other things. Should I watch it? Now that my Star Wars interest is like, like I, I watched Rise of Skywalker, I watched The Mandalorian, it was all in on Baby Yoda. That's way two ends of the spectrum, too. So that's a tough one because you've got The Mandalorian, which is a very, very good show, and you have Rise of Skywalker, which is objectively one of the worst things that's happened to the franchise. And then yeah. somewhere in the middle, you have Solo, which is, I think the, what, what worked against Solo was it came out when everybody, when most Star Wars fans who were pushing back against The Last Jedi were still enraged that The Last Jedi is something that exists, which, watch The Last Jedi, it's a very good movie. Um, it also was the first indication of Star Wars fatigue, something that people were waiting to happen with the Marvel movies. Where it's like, how many of these movies are going to come out before we're like, oh my God, there's another one. Yeah. Solo, while not being as good as the other Star Wars movies on its own, also was hurt by that bit of fatigue where it's like, oh, because there's a big reveal at the end, which if it had come out, you know, around um, Rogue One and Force Awakens where we've got peak Star Wars interest, 
I think it would have hit a lot better with fans. Whereas it just kind of was, it did, I think, came out in the summer. And it was just kind of dropped in there. I mean, it's got all of the check, check marks if you're a Star Wars fan. It's a Han Solo story. It's how he meets Chewbacca. They're prominently featured, the two of them. Ron Howard directs it. So, like, you've got another element there. But it, um, uh, Donald Glover is in it as Lando, which is fun. Uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridges is in it as a robot. That's hilarious. That's like, it's got a lot in there. Um, but it just, I want, I, I think people should revisit it before it leaves Netflix just to see if now that we've got some distance between it initially coming out and the Star Wars fatigue kind of wearing off or maybe normalizing a little bit, yeah, that yeah. it's not that bad of a movie. It's a good like Saturday matinee feature where it's breezy, it's quick. Woody Harrelson's in it too. Like it's, uh, you know, I I would recommend it, um, but I wouldn't go into it with a ton of expectations. It's perfect that you've set the stage a little bit for there's nothing else to do. It is a perfect there's nothing else to do type of movie where check it out, see how you feel. Perfect. I can work with that. I can work with that. Um, all right. Well. Yes, I'll throw it to you. Is there anything else leaving that um, that you're really bummed about? So I feel like it's a pretty. We keep saying, I keep saying this, but it's a pretty like um, anticlimactic month for Netflix. At least right now, maybe they're just like hiding the good stuff and going to re- release it at a later date. Um, but yeah, I'm feeling feeling at peace with what's leaving Netflix. Yeah, I mean, unless you're like super into the Back to the Future trilogy. Or as we've talked about, the other great trilogy leaving Netflix, <laughs> the Jarhead trilogy. The Jarhead uh-huh. trilogy. The trilogy nobody knew was a trilogy. At least I didn't. <laughs> if, you're, if you're really hurting to get into the Jarhead expanded universe, then your, right. your time is short. Um, Mississippi Grind is a good movie that's on Netflix that's leaving, I think, on the 25th. Um, it's one of those smaller films that came out, kind of like... Um, we were talking about uh, Never Have I Ever and To All the Boys I, I Love. The type of movie that would come out in the theater and you would not necessarily go see it, but it's not because it's a bad movie. You should see it. It's just like, what are you going to do? Go to Mississippi Ground on a Friday night? Or are you going to go see Star Wars or a Marvel movie? So it's almost a weird reverse engineered thing where it's the perfect Netflix movie. It's perfect to have at your disposal you got nothing better to do. You're going to watch this. And all of a sudden you're like, holy cow, this is a really good movie. And I'm really glad I spent my time doing this. Ben Mendelsohn's in it. It's, it's phenomenal. Um, a gambling movie. So if you're, again, if you're a, a really, a really interesting back-to-back watch with Uncut Gems. So watch Uncut <laughs> Gems and then Mississippi Grind if you really want to get your degenerate gambler on. Um, yeah, that's, that, that, that's leading. And it's, it's a good, it's a good, uh, example of a film that if it had existed when Netflix is doing what it's doing right now with some of these movies, it maybe would have had a different uh, life cycle than it had. Then it does right now where we're just talking about it as something that's leading Netflix rather than, you know, when we talked about Uncut Gems or some of these other things. Maybe I will move it up my to watch list, move it up the queue. Yeah. And then a couple other things that I noticed that were coming if you wanted to, you wanted to end on that. Um, sure. We got I mean, the last dance comes to Netflix yeah. um, in July. So if you didn't get enough the first time around, dive into it. Which I thought was like fast and strange until I remembered that Netflix handled all the international distribution for it, and then I was like, oh wait, they already had the rights. <laughs> There's that one, and then um, 
Speaking of sports, you want to get your sports fix. Uh, Billy Crystal's 61 is on Netflix. So cool. um, that is, it's about the uh, Roger Maris's chase to get break Babe Ruth's single season home run record. Barry Pepper is in it. Um, it's a real deep cut if you're, if you're looking for a Barry Pepper fair. Watch Crawl. Which I've actually nice played form. on it when I was like young and just like it made me cry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's also like really good Thomas Jane. And it's like, yeah. oh, what happened to Thomas Jane? I mean, he had a nice little run there, like Boogie Nights and a couple things were going on and then he just kind of went away. Was um, he the mentalist? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> he ended on a CBS procedural where, I don't want to say careers go to die, but they go to purgatory. They certainly um, don't start there, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Or take off. Yeah, and then the last the last one is um, Batman: The Mask of the Phantasm. That's like okay. it's a. Uh, I think it was some sort of like series finale to that Batman animated series that's like super popular um, mm-hmm. that aired in the '90s. And then I know I remember watching like reruns, and I'm sure a ton of people have accidentally watched one of them. Like, you know it as soon as you see it. Um, that's if we want to talk about Mississippi Grind, kind of came out at the wrong time. Mask of the Phantasm feels like the type of movie that belongs on Netflix if Netflix existed in like 92, 94, whenever that movie came out. Because it's based off a TV show. It got a theatrical release and a ton of all of this stuff. I remember watching it when I was a kid. But like, it's a really good Batman movie. And it kind of highlights the whole thing where when you're talking about Batman, and I know we've had a lot of conversations on the internet about Batman lately, whether it's Justice League coming to HBO Max or you know, Battenson, which I love so much. That's great. Um, you think about the movies, Batman, and then you got the animated series, which is actually on par, if not better than some of the movies. And then this Mask of the Phantasm, which is a nice little drop in the bucket for Batman fans who are looking for maybe a little bit of release from some of those other movies that exist. But that's coming to Netflix. And I think all the other Batman movies are HBO Max. So get your Batman fix on Netflix if you can. Well, that's great. Um, all right, then. If we let's do what we like to do and narrow this down to one thing you're most excited to watch on Netflix in July. Go. Uh, the Umbrella Academy, but yeah. also rewatching The Five Bloods. <laughs> yeah, I would go with rewatching The Five Bloods, and then honestly, I'm sold on the Zac Efron travel show. That seems like exactly what I need this July. Love it. <laughs> okay. Well, that's our show. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, that's Josh Hill. I'm Shay Corrigan, and this is for fans of. Like, listen, subscribe, and we'll talk to you next month. Xfinity XFi is more than just fast. It's internet that gives you ultimate control. With the XFi app, you can pause the Wi-Fi at the push of a button. Can your internet do that? Learn more at Xfinity.com slash XFi. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.